Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And today we're going to have uh, Mike Beasley, one of our favorite guests that comes on and gives us the the lowdown, what to expect, what happened, how it's going to affect, affect you and impact you. Our favorite so, policy nerd. Yep. Our favorite policy ninja. Um, he is a ninja. So he's going to be on here. So stick around for that. And then afterwards, please stay on because we're going to tell you about the annual meeting and some new things we're working on and doing. And we're so excited because we have one of our repeat and favorite guests with us today. And this is the first time he's done this in person. And of course, it's because tonight is the legislative barbecue, which we're all getting ready to go to. But my 18th, by the way, I counted it just now. It's your 18th. It's my 18th year going. And the only gap was the COVID year. How old are you? Like 59, I think. 59. Or that's how I feel. Oh, At least that's how my goodness. back and knees feel. Right, right. Now. right. So we've got Mike Beasley uh, live in the studio with us today. And so uh, we're excited to have him. So if you haven't been to the legislative barbecue before, it is quite the show as all the state, Colorado State Fair is. And, and uh, you'll see a, a lot of the who's who in the public policy world there tonight. And we're really interested to see because it's not an election year, but there's more than 700 tickets sold. So we'll keep you posted on that. We'll send some pictures out and do all that. But Mike, thanks so much for coming all thanks the way for down. Having me. And, yeah, and thank coming, you. Coming down early in the middle of rainstorms mm-hmm. and we appreciate it so much. So what we've been hearing is there's a whole lot more going on so far this summer than we've seen. And I guess we should have expected it after the last legislative session. So we've been talking about broadband. You were listening in on um, the discussions on ozone. Give us a sort of a snapshot of what happens on public policy in the state of Colorado uh, by this time in August every year. Is it, is it different than what you're normally seeing? This has been uh, the busiest summer uh, that I've had in between sessions for as long as I can remember. And I've mm-hmm. been doing this for close to 30 years. And uh, I, I would say that uh, we have a record number of interim committees. And that's on top of the various study committees that they've created in statute that are housed within the various departments or agencies. Um, and a lot of it is designed to find consensus uh, on difficult topics and to identify issues um, uh, that that need to be addressed in a variety of areas. It is one, though, that um, so far I don't see a lot of consensus coming out of these particular groups. Um, and it's, you know, and it's kind of, I think it's not all, but much of the conversation happening in this interim is again, falling down along party lines and ideological lines. And, um, I think it, it tells us that this next legislative session going into a political year is going to be, uh, tough, uh, tough in terms of of uh, avoiding controversy, mm-hmm. tough in terms of finding consensus on what I'll call the big ticket items, um, uh, what happens if Prop HH passes or fails, 
uh, for example, on the November ballot, how are we then going to uh, address providing folks both uh, personal and business property tax relief uh, on a temporary basis to get them through what we're seeing in terms of property tax. What's going to happen with schools? Or, you know, will they finally, after uh, since 1994, re- really rewrite the finance, School Finance Act? Are we going to be able to keep tuition at a price that it still keeps higher ed affordable for Colorado kids? Um, we'll talk a, a little bit about some controversy around some of the state agencies um, on, on some of those topics, but but um, I'm not. It, it's like um, it's like swimming in a blender right now, <laughs> and um, a lot going on, um, but not a lot getting decided. If that makes sense. So, with a supermajority, you would think consensus would be easy. Well, I don't know about your family, but whenever you lock all my family in a room, there's always a chance that at least one fight's going to break out, yep. and um, there is going to be. Um, very heated differences. Um, and that's just within, in this case, to your point, the Democrat Party. But, but uh, and then the Republicans want to have a say. And the Republicans don't have a lot of numbers uh, in the legislature to affect much. And so that's part of the challenge that we have. And our job, whether it's for Action 22 or any of the other folks that we uh, work with and for, is to try and figure out how to how to watch that process, how to try and affect policy before it affects us, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And so that's where we find ourselves today. So I think one of the questions that we get almost every day, and we honestly have no idea how to answer those, are the questions around HH. Could you give us a quick snapshot of what we're talking about when we say HH? Well, the legislature, we're in the second year of a two-year temporary reduction in property tax because of the Mm -hmm. property taxes uh, increases that we've seen. We also saw the voters a couple of years ago repeal the Gallagher Amendment, which helped insulate people from the large swings up or down of, of, um, of the valuation and the amount of money that they pay in property tax. And so the legislature, in a in a uh, in a uh, party line vote, um, referred HH to the ballot to help folks decide: Do you want additional property tax relief? But do you want to provide backfills to things like schools and to uh, local governments with a part of your Tabor refund? Uh, and that's the controversial element versus just the straight relief out of the state's general uh, general fund budget um, to sup, sup, uh, supplementing that general fund contribution with um, all of our uh, Tabor refund. And while we haven't seen much about that in the public's eye, I would say after Labor Day, you're going to see both the proponents and opponents of that um, effort really take root. Uh, If it were me, I I would say from as a casual observer of the process that I am, that if the voters were to reject that, um, we would almost certainly have to be into a special session in order to, in my opinion, to prepare um, policy and what we want to do next. Would we want to continue the two-year temporary out of the state's general fund? Um, do they want to refer something else to the ballot for 24? Do they want to maybe cut parts of the budget in order to free up a backfill to local governments and school districts and others? Those are just examples of some of the things that people are considering and talking about now. 
If it were to fail, if it were to pass, then we are back into that same budget struggle. The governor will submit a budget on November 1. I'm sure he'll want to change his budget um, uh, rec- uh, budget submittal, depending on what the voters do uh uh, in, in this election, and you've already, and on September 20th, you're going to start to see the the Joint Budget Committee come back into session and start to have these conversations. So that's something you'll be reading about and hearing about uh, in the press. These are really big, important, especially for rural Colorado that gets so much support from agencies like um, uh, Department of Health or Health. Co- Healthcare policy and finance, uh, Department of Local Affairs, etc. CDOT, they, um, you know, state budget is important, and um, it's going to be important that, um, regardless of what the voters do, the legislature is going to have to come together, um, both with themselves and with the governor, to figure out what we what we want the budget and our the values that we want funded uh, to look like. Do you think it's going to pass? I think it's going to pass. Um when it goes to the ballot. And, and the reason why I say that is we, you know, everybody's property tax went up a lot this year. And I think that the average voter is just going to see like temporary or relief for your property tax. And they're just going to vote on that. But, you know, I, I don't know that it'll pass. Um, we're typically a state that has resisted a statewide, um, uh, from a statewide perspective, we've resisted any tinkering with Tabor. I mean, Ref C is the one time I can think back in in uh, 2004, 2005. Um, and uh, I think people like their Tabor refunds, mm-hmm. and these are significant refunds that they want to maintain. Um, and I think what I'm already hearing from the opponents is, um, look, your property taxes are still going up. Mm-hmm. It's just going to go up a little bit less because they're taking money the government already owes you. Mm-hmm. And so that will be a micro conversation at tables like this one across our state. Um, and so I really don't know. And I, I think our voters are pretty smart. They love their blue books that they get. Um, and then we'll have to see. But I think you're looking at probably a four to eight million dollar campaign That's what I was uh, combined on yeah. both sides to educate people on why it's good and why it's bad. So and with a small ballot with a likely low voter turnout, I, I for me, I can't I don't want to predict yet. Yeah, that's that's a good point, because it is an off year for the election. Mm-hmm. And the people that tend to vote are the people that are more educated about what they're voting on versus the average right. voter. So, yeah. right, yeah, we'll have point. to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. Either way, it'll be interesting. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, there's been some interesting things going on with state agencies uh, during over the summer, in particular CDOT, um, and uh, their their attempts to figure out how to get into the broadband game. So, what are you hearing and seeing on that front? Let me tell you, from from my perspective, broadband is one that's critically important. And I think that Coloradans, especially in, in the rural parts of our state, have been over-promised and under-delivered to by both the public and private sectors on the development of broadband. And so there's a large frustration level in every corner of this state, and and you see that in, in Action 22's broadband committee. Um, and over the last couple of years um, – we there there's a little bit different in this issue compared to the last 25 or so years and that Colorado has a ton of money 
um, largely federal, uh, for the development and deployment of broadband across the state. And so there's a policy question then, and there seems to be a direction of uh, not just um, CDOT, uh, Colorado Department of Transportation, but also uh, the broadband office that maybe local governments are the ones that should um, be the largest beneficiaries of these grants, uh, federal federal monies, and that we should shift away, uh, Phyllis, uh, practically speaking, from either public-private partnerships, in my opinion, or, or um, um, to government ownership, especially local government ownership. And then on a parallel track, you've seen CDOT saying, well, look, you know, we want in state, we're happy to facilitate the investment in their uh, rights of ways and easements, but they want a, a certain amount of money higher than what someone else might pay uh, in a different type of easement owned by a, another utility or or um, landowner. Um, and then they want those providers to provide uh, some of the um, broadband capacity within those mm-hmm. those easements or right of ways, and um, and and but whether you're at the state level or you're at the local level, these governments, in my opinion, see this as a revenue generator long term. Um, it's uh, it it for them. It's kind of like buying stock in Apple when it first started because this is, you know, a way to constantly have revenue from people getting into their easements and right-of-ways that, frankly, the public already owns. And so there's this large tension between the public and private sector right now like I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what happens when you have money, and right? And so these... So CDOT has taken a very uh, strong position. The broadband office has taken a strong position. The broadband office just released a five-year plan. I've read through it once. Um, there's a lot of information there that I, that I think I'm, I'm still digesting. But um, the bottom line is, regardless of what plans and, and that they put forward, the legislature is probably going to have to step in and uh, in this next session and be the referee between the public and private sectors uh, on this. Because if we end up uh, paralyzed in court actions or in other legislative bills – you know, keep in mind, especially the federal money, it has a fuse lit. And if we don't obligate it and spend it by time forward, let's say 25, 26, uh, depending on, on the, the, the program and, and the dollar amount, um, you'll, Colorado will be forced to give that money back. And that's part of the problem. It's obligated and spent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a little it's a little nerve wracking. Well, it is, you know, and I think, frankly, rural Colorado has been underserved. And um, in my previous roles, I've probably been a part of that in under delivering and over promising. Um, and I think in rural Colorado, we want to have folks with good Internet connectivity that don't necessarily have a a community college or a jail in their backyard. And just to be blunt. And so um, uh Action 22, for example, you've taken a role in facilitating communications between those two sectors, reaching out to the governor's folks, uh, various state agencies and others to bring people together uh, to find common ground um, and to stake out the values that are important um, because these dollars are trans. Formative. It'll never happen again. At least I hope it doesn't, because we yeah. know what, why we got those dollars. Yeah. You know, after a global pandemic, um, 
and it was probably 30 times what we received after the economic turn, turn, uh, town turn uh, after September 11th. And so uh, we can't actually get this wrong. Mm-hmm. And so um, local governments and the private sector really need to work together. Even though I, my sense is they don't really trust each other necessarily, we, got, we have to get this right. And yeah. so Action 22 has played an important role in that, and I, I frankly, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it's going back to what the, the last two times they tried to do this federally, um, you're right, it was way over-promised and under I mean, You go through the CAF funding, you know, CAF 2 funding, nothing happened from that. I mean, there was a little bit, but it wasn't what was promised, and uh, we, we need it more than ever now, and I'm really hoping that they get this right, like you're saying, because this is the one opportunity to actually do it here in Colorado. Right. And I, and I think people need to hear that. Like, you know, we're going into an election year, and what are they going to say? Well, like, we need broadband. They always say, we need broadband. Now we can actually deliver the broadband. We have the opportunity to do it. And I don't want broadband to be a campaign issue anymore after next year. Well, in the legislature, I agree completely. And the, the legislature, I'm already hearing rumblings about, well, we're just going to go back in and re-regulate broadband. And I think we've got to stop sending signals, in my opinion, to both public and private sectors um, that that would just be another delay in the deployment of those dollars. Uh, The policy might be good. I I haven't seen it. I'm only telling you stories I've heard. And we really, in my opinion, if I had a magic wand, the legislature would provide appropriate oversight of its state agencies and, um, and really bring the private sector in to say, come on, what are we going to do? And so... And across the state, uh, Action 22, honestly, has been a leader in bringing those parties together and, t- and talking about it in this region. Um, and I hope that's something that will be um, duplicated in, in quick fashion uh, in every corner of our state mm-hmm. because it's we have to get it right. So we know that uh, legislators are making the decisions on what bills they're going to submit on December 5th right now. Uh, what are you hearing are the, are the most prominent uh, issues that they're talking about? So I think, again, um, looking uh, to 2024, what happens with Prop HH and what are we going to do with schools? Um, what are we going to do um, uh, with more where uh, – what are the spending priorities of state government if we are, as we hear um, from no, numerous uh, economists and others, that we're going to have some sort of recession in the first part of this next year? Remember those same – many of those same forecasters said we would have that in, in, in the second and third quarter of this year that didn't materialize. Um, and so um, that then affects things like health care spending. Um, you're seeing a large, large conversation today about uh, providers of kids with autism leaving the state because they're some of the most underfunded in the state. That's yeah. a, another ex- a good example of that. Um, what do we do with school finance? Um, you saw several school districts, including one that was a client of mine that has taken the Department of Education and the administration to court over the implementation of universal preschool that is way underfunded. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really important to folks, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, urban or rural, um, suburban. It's it's that that's another one that is really a hard policy. Uh, you've seen the governor, for example, is very much committed to it, and I think it's something that Colorado is enthusiastic for. But we have to get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm seeing le- more legislation on climate change um, and ozone standards. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this tension between the governor who who's trying to balance environmental needs with economic needs um, can uh, find consensus among his party um, with uh, a legislature where Republicans are largely against most of those uh, solutions. So there, th- that's one great example where the Democrats are going to have to do it all on their own within their own party, most likely, I would predict to you. And that matters um, not just in terms of a consumer and the impacts on their utility bills, for example, but if you're a manufacturer mm-hmm. um, and you're looking to make investments in Colorado, you need some stability, in my opinion, on what that policy is. And so you can attract that capital, make that investment, create or maintain those jobs. And that's that's what I really see some a lot of conversations behind the scenes. And then finally, as it relates to that policy, if you're a community like Pueblo, for example, and you're looking at the acceleration of coal plants, what does that look like? Not just in terms of jobs um, uh, and the political landscape, but um, property taxes mm-hmm. and funding of schools and, and all of those things and, and, and retraining workforce and attracting new businesses uh, to Colorado. So I, I think uh, I, I think that's a, a critical issue as well. I'm hearing uh, one of the one of the things that bubbled up, and you couldn't find many legislators that understood it, and I certainly don't myself. Is that uh, uh, technology related around um, AI? artificial intelligence and should that be regulated or not and what should that look like um so that that's one that kind of makes my head want to pop off is is colorado really the colorado legislature really in the position to get to produce any kind of legislation on that? Well, like, I think it depends which one of them you ask. Uh, yeah. but, but the answer is uh, definitely maybe. And, um, that and, seems a little, yeah. let's call it hubris. And then, there's, there, and then finally, uh, important to our region here is water. And, um, and with various uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, rulings and... Uh, the Department of Health and others are going to look to find a way to regulate water within Colorado. Um, I've already started to see that even without the statutory approval for that. And so that really does affect uh, – it affects water users, um, it, um, uh, water developers, and what I and, – and, and developer t- traditionally is a negative word, but if you're a farmer or you're you're working off a well, for example, um, I'm going to put them for the sake of this conversation in that category, and and um, that's going to be a very controversial, costly um, uh, uh, endeavor of the legislature to figure out. And um, and I already see extremes even within the Democrat Party between those who who worry about growth and development and property rights related to farmers to more of the environmental type concern Democrat who, you know, is just really committed to empowering the department to do, to give them whatever tools they need to regulate water on public or private property. And so that's going to be very controversial. Mm-hmm. And, and also related to that, um, more conversations around the Colorado river. And that's, uh, that is important to this part of the world because water is important everywhere we go. And, um, w- you know, 
the compact that Colorado has with the various states, as I sit back as a casual observer of the process and see, you know, where, where are the challenges um, related to use of the Colorado River and can can these western states get Arizona, for example, to be a better partner, um, I think it would be critical and a big, big um, issue um, on the horizon for us. So we've got just a few more minutes. Uh, I think a lot about uh, something you said prior to the session and then after the session when we uh, did it, the show with you, and that was this legislature was like the the dog that caught the car, and now they had all this going on, and they didn't know quite what to do with it. Now that this legislature, and, and there are so many new faces, now that this legislature is a little more um, battle-hardened, for lack of a better term, what do you predict it's going to look like this year? So my answer to that question is this, is, is that, look, campaigning is easy. Governing is the hard part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so uh, whether it doesn't matter what party you belong to, I mean, that is that is really uh, the hard part. Uh, I really commend the governor for being in a bad position or a difficult position. And I've worked for a governor and had a similar experience mm-hmm. where the legislature is either all your one party or they're divided. It's still really tough. Um, and uh, they're going to have to continue to uh, find common ground. Um the foundation of that is going to be the budget and then moving forward. But like I said, when we started this, you know, um, all families have really good fights. And that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing that in the State House of Representatives where a couple of Democrats sued uh, in the House, both the House and uh, Democrats and the House Republicans for conducting business uh, on cell phones and on Zoom calls and um on using a program called Signal and really not communicating um, in public, but more deliberating and governing behind the scenes, behind their phones, the screens uh, of their phones. And while um, I think uh, I, I think that that has created a, quite a wedge. Um, and has actually made it difficult in this really busy summer that I just described to you for folks like us, for, like me, to work because legislators are, are a little grouchy about that and they are a little hesitant about what they talk about and where they talk about it with. And it's not widespread, but it's enough there to cause a disruption. And so the question that I have going into the fall and into session in January is will that uh, – freezing effect or that hangover effect um, continue on in January. If it does, it's going to make our job even more difficult. And and having said that, you know, um, my own view uh, that I don't know that Representative Duran, the majority leader in the House or the Speaker or the minority leader, Representative Lynch, could have they, – they've not done one thing different than we have done in this process as long as I've been around. And um, – and while it's frustrating and difficult, remember, we're jamming anywhere between 700 and 1,000 bills in a 120-day session, and that is just no way to run a circus. Yeah. Yeah. But in their defense, the voters have put these limitations, whether it's one bill, one vote, or a limitation uh, in the session to 120 days, um, uh, campaign finance limits, Amendment 41 limits, and all these things that make it difficult for the legislature to work, to talk to each other, to even be friends with each other, 
that's the the minefield that they're navigating. And so they have my, honestly, as a nerd in the legislative process, they have my deepest sympathies. And I thought they did great. And I think um, I uh, it'll be curious to see how this settles itself because it's really going to have an effect if it doesn't. And one thing that I heard, too, from both Republicans and Democrats, um, at least around here, uh, the leadership this last session actually did a really good job. And there was kudos from both sides on how they, they operated and ran things. Um, I also heard that uh, they explained it, you know, like you said, every family gets in a fight. Um, it's like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, mm-hmm. where you have all the Democrats in there and it's a family and they're fighting to have the party and then Cousin Eddie shows up and that's the Republicans. <laughs> they have to <laughs> they have to let them in to the table. I may have brought that, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's just, this is hard. Yeah, and and this you know governing is hard, and so we have you know we have a lot of things to do as a state, um, uh, and um, the governor's done a good job at setting that policy table and having, especially this last session, having the legislature refer to him, and I, I think um, with that with that kind of cloud and the issues that we've described, I think the biggest issue that we'll look. Towards is uh, you know remember the governor was pushing Senate Bill two thirteen and that's more of state control over growth and development and that and land use generally speaking um, and I still see the lines pretty uh, heavily drawn there and I don't see why I do see local governments trying to find um, consensus and things they can offer the governor in terms of things that they will agree to um, I don't know that it's been enough. And and so that's what I would say in their defense and on the governor's defense. I think what I would say is, look, y'all should be doing master plans and you should be talking about um, ways to grow and develop. And you should. And you saw in the governor's executive order on housing just the yeah. other day. Yep. I mean, and you've heard me say on this podcast, I worry about in the housing space, generally speaking, especially all these federal funds. And I think I said uh, two sessions ago, I worried as a former employee of the Department of Local Affairs that we've almost set the Department of Local Affairs and the Division of Housing up for failure Mm -hmm. because we've asked them to do so much with so little so quickly. And so the governor then had to punctuate that concern that I have and what we've all been talking about with an executive order this last week saying, you know, DOLA and Division of Housing, you're not going to take 200 and some days to process a grant for affordable housing. You get, you were going to do it in 90 kind of a thing. And so that is kind of proof of my concern. Mm -hmm. And we all have an obligation, I think, whether you're in the public or private sector to help the Department of Local Affairs use these, again, another pot of transformative dollars to get housing done right. But that is still separate from these mandates on local governments. And that's where I don't know. We're going to find uh, enough consensus to satisfy the governor. But yeah. that's a huge bill. And it was the biggest land use change that I've seen um, since the mid-70s. Um, uh, and so, you know, my, you saw legislators offered an amendment to have a summit this summer, uh, Senator Zenzinger, Senator Kirkmeyer. And instead, and to have a big, broad conversation like we had back in Governor Romer's time that came up with the Office of Smart Growth, came up with recommendations like creating Great Outdoors Colorado, et cetera. Um, I just don't see those conversations that are that impactful yet. Now, it's August, and I know we were just doing this, and I blinked, and summer is nearly yeah. over. But 
This is really important stuff and probably going to be one of the more contentious items this session. So with that, uh, our time is up with you, but because uh, I, I was just about to ask you, what should everybody be paying attention to? But you just said that. Yeah. And your voice is really important. Action 22 member, your voices are really important because these conversations are really important. And there's not a lot of, as you just heard Mike say, there's not a lot of people having those conversations. And um, it, it's going to affect every aspect of your life over the next 20 years, yep. I think. Things that are going to happen in the next 18 months. So... Um, <laughs> Stick around. We'll have a follow-up right after this. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thank Thanks. you. It's always such a treat for us to have Mike Beasley on the show, and we want you to be as involved with his expertise as we are. So if you have any questions that you'd like us to post to Mike Beasley and that we can talk out on the show, just let us know, and we will um, get that right to him. You can do that at show at action Twenty Two. Dot org, right? Yep. Yep. Show at action22.org. Show at action22.org. So we're really excited because we just announced today our annual meeting is going to be happening October 5th and 6th. We're having a little bit of a different format this year and a new venue. This is really exciting. Mm-hmm. We're going to be at UCCS at the Cybersecurity Building. Yeah. Um, it's called something else, though. It's, it's like the National the, Cybersecurity Center at the O'Neill Building for UCCS. And this is a super cool site. Not only are you going to be able to have tours of the National Cybersecurity Center, where they are looking all the time for um, international hacking, hacking in the United States. It's a really uh, impressive area and they're doing some really cool, very organic things there, even though it's the National Cybersecurity Center. So what we're doing this year is we're going to have a member expo. Every Action 22 member has a really important story to tell. And the reason that that story is so important is because it informs decision makers. But more than that, we have a responsibility Action 22 members to other Action 22 members to be ambassadors for each other. This is going to be an opportunity for you to really understand what your fellow Action 22 members do and how they influence all of our region. Yes. So if you go to our webpage, just action22.org, it's like right on the landing page. You can see all the info. If you want to sponsor it, that information's up there. Um, of course, you can always email us at show at action22.org or join at action22.org or Brian at action22.org. <laughs> or Sarah at action22.org. Yeah. Um, but all the info's there. And if you click, you could buy tickets uh, just directly off of our website. Um, the cool thing is we are going to have a reception on Thursday the 5th from... I think it's five to seven, um, and that's going to be at the ENT or the Ent building. It's kind of their performing arts building yeah. right up the road from the cybersecurity center. So that'll be fun. So even if you don't make it to the meeting, I think it would be worth your time to at least come to the reception and, and kind of like meet the movers and shakers. Yeah, Absolutely. Also, as we've been talking about how to really strengthen the voice, and you know Action 22, all every year about this time, we challenge ourselves to how to be a stronger voice for Action 22, but for all of rural Colorado. So, Brian, what are we doing now? So, if you enjoy listening to Sarah and I and our guests come on, um, what we're doing is we started a Patreon. So, if you go to Patreon and just look up Making Action Happen, um, we're going to have exclusive content. I know that's kind of like the thing now. It's everybody has, you know, watch my YouTube video free and then go to our Patreon and pay money and have exclusive content. But what we're going to do is, well, the, the show's going to stay the same. We're still going to push that out. Um, for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to have additional content. So, 
you get the 45 minutes with us for free, but if you want to hear us go in like for an hour and rant and rave about stuff and get a little <laughs> more red meat and maybe political at it, um, that'll be on our Patreon. Um, there's opportunities for members of Patreon to uh, interact with us. Um, there's going to be, well, the way I want to structure it. So the show will still go up, but for our Patreon subscribers, they'll get it early. So if you know we record, it goes out a week later on Patreon, it'll go up immediately, uh, which is kind of cool. You get a week in advance ahead of everybody else to see what we're talking about. And again, that extra content where sometimes we have conversations with people. Uh, Dave Young's a, a really good example because I think we sat here and talked to him for 45 minutes before we actually put the the recorded, the recorded part was, you know, not part of that 45 minutes. So get a little more in depth and a little more intimate with our guests, I would say, and, and really look at the issues. Um, there'll be opportunity to hear both Sarah and I and other action 22 members kind of give their perspective on anything and everything, whether it's political, whether it's the state of affairs, anything like that. So almost like editorial content, Again, throw the disclaimer out. The views and opinions on making action happen do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Action 22 or its board or its membership. But if you look at it like a newspaper, the Patreon will be like the editorial page of the paper where we will have people come in and give their opinion about certain topics and items. So it's kind of cool. And I, I think I said it, it's five bucks a month. That really helps us. And even if you just want to support what we do and you don't even care about the extra content, this gives us the opportunity to make this bigger and better as we go forward. Um, part of it, I want to get new cameras for the this so it looks a little better. You know, listen, dress up the studio a little bit. That will go to the this. Um, you know, it'll help us get on the road, get... Uh, more guests and concentrate the, on this a little more than maybe some of the other stuff that we're working right. on. So we started making action happen to be by the members and for the members. And we always want to do a better job of that. So we're going to have lots of opportunities for you as action 22 members, or even for listeners to be a lot more involved. We're going to have round tables where you can send us your questions and we can add, interact with you live. This is really exciting. And it's sort of been building up for a little while that we wanted to take this to the next level. And we hope that that does that that it makes the voice your voice stronger but also an ambassador for each other so that we can really get to the decision makers and give that perspective that we feel sometimes they're clearly missing so we appreciate your support it really does make a difference and enables us to do a bigger bigger and better job than what we already do and with that uh, I will be working on some other things that are kind of in this arena. That So stay tuned. Um, some other great, exciting things. In the next week or two um, that just kind of expands our reach and gets our voice out more. Yep. All right. So thank you so much for your support. We appreciate the more than 10,000 listeners that we already have. And we want you to be more involved and we want you to be contributors to that strong voice. So if you're interested in that or if you have any trouble with signing on on Patreon, just email us at, again at show at action22.org. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.